okay? Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Hey, there's a connect card on your seat. Please fill that out. We'd love to get to know you some more. Today's message is called Environments of Encounters. And we all know environments set the expectation for what kind of experience we will have, right? So if you're going to a fancy restaurant with your kids, you prepare them differently than if you're going to Chuck E. Cheese, okay? You expect different kinds of behavior, all right? That's the environment sets the expectation. If I'm going to Disneyland, I expect a certain environment, you know? I expect to behave a certain way, and I expect to spend a lot of money. Disneyland sets the expectations. They determine my experience, okay? Not my feelings about it. It's the environment that does this. Uh, you know this, whether you hate or love your workplace. You do so because of the environment generally of the workplace. It sets the expectations. Some are more free. Some are more strict. Some bosses micromanage. Some pay no attention to you at all. It, doesn't, it sets the expectations. Some are more friendly. Some are, some are not. It sets the expectations. If you're going to a playground or a library, the environment sets the expectation. You know how to behave in a library. You know how to behave on a playground. It's the environment that tells you what you should do, and it sets you up to get there. This is true for all of us, and it's true for us in the Christian walk as well. When we talk about environments that set expectations, particularly for meeting with God, hearing and listening to God, being open to what God has to say, showing God our love, and being in an environment that is conducive for an encounter with God, for an encounter with the divine, which is something actually the entire human race is interested in and wants. This is why uh, we love to look for aliens, and that's a big deal, UFO sightings, all these things people say. Why is that such a thing in society? Well, it's because we want the supernatural. We want something different. We want something other. There's something inside of us that says, well, what if aliens do exist? That would be interesting. We want an encounter with something outside of our health. This is why people do things like play with Ouija boards or even hunt ghosts. This is why there's TV shows about hunting ghosts. Why? Because there's something inside of us that wants to encounter the divine, that wants to experience something other, something outside of ourselves. This is why we love movies and we go, uh, when we try to find these things in our own life, we want to experience something outside of ourselves. This is why love at first sight is such a big deal, because we feel like it's an encounter with something other. You know, it's, a, it's an encounter with the divine. For me to have love at first sight, it's this amazing thing. We see it on the movies. We say, wow, that is an encounter that I like. This is even the reason why you go to a concert. Why do you go to, like, a concert? You can listen to those songs on Spotify. You show up at the concert because the environment is conducive for some type of encounter with something outside of yourself. You go because you want to experience something with other people in person. You go because there's something about the encounter there that takes you into something outside of yourself, even if it's not spiritual. You go there because that's what it does. So I want you to see that, whether you might be new to Christianity or you're searching things out, you're watching online, whatever it is, uh, what are your, your understanding of this is you are innately wired, and you have to ask why, but it's clear that you and I are innately wired to seek something other. This is why we love going to uh, football games with 100,000 people in the stadium. Why? Because there's something about it. We could watch that game on TV, but there's something about it that takes us into a place, a group experience that takes us into some otherness, that takes us into this experience that is more than we could accomplish on our own sitting at home watching TV. 
This is why you can go into the jungles around the world and they're worshiping even though they have no religion. They just worship. They find stuff and they make stuff up and they find ways to worship. There's something innate to people, even when they have no outside information about other things to say, we want to worship. You go into a place that's had no outside contact with the world and the entire human race and they're worshiping. Worshiping what? Well, whatever they could come up with. They don't know. So they're wor- it's innate, okay? So it's innate in all of us. You got to know this inside of yourself. So you need an explanation for that. So this is what I want to help give you today. And what I want to help provide for many of us as we seek the Lord is I want to help you understand this innate desire in your heart to seek something other, to seek the divine. Why is that there? And I think that's God's sign to you that he made you, that he loves you, and that he wants you to seek him. And this is his way of helping you understand that. And to those of us who do already know the Lord, we have a role to play in the encounters that we experience with God. And if we want more of God to show up, more often times where we are radically changed in his presence, we actually have something we can do about that. We talked about last week how the only place we really change is in the presence of God. The presence of God is where we make progress. So the question then becomes, very important, it says, okay, what environments are conducive to encounters with God's presence? If we say, okay, I naturally want something other, that's clear, step number one. I naturally seek something divine, that's, step one. that's, that's clear about me and you and everybody. Okay, then the second question would be, well, what is that? And the answer to that is it's God in Christ Jesus died and risen again for you. It's the presence of an actual God, not an idea or a, or a religion. It's the presence of the person, God. That's the answer to that. Then the third question then becomes, well, what can I do to position myself to experience more of this God's presence? I know how to go to a football game, I buy a ticket. I know how to go to Disneyland, I buy a ticket. As a matter of fact, any of these encounters that I want to experience in the world, I have to buy a ticket, I have to get in the car, I have to get ready, I know how to get there, and I know how to go, and I know exactly what it takes to get to that experience. And sometimes I think we're a little bit foggy and confused about what it takes to get into this experience with God. What is the roadmap? what is the ticket for me to go and have time in God's presence to experience more of his power, to have more encounters with who he is, and to have this type of personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Then we're going to baptize some people in the name of the Lord. It's going to be awesome to celebrate what God is doing. So uh, go ahead and open your Bible to Acts chapter 13. All right, we're going to learn what does that look like from this text. Uh, Real quick before we do that, thank you to all who participated, served, led, prayer, all this in worship yesterday. We prayed and worshiped from 9 to 9. Uh, the Lord was exalted in that. We even ate Chick-fil-A, which the Lord is also glorified in. And yeah, amen, amen. And we had an awesome time together. I uh, just want to encourage you that these are the rhythms of our church that we're going to pray. And as we give ourselves to prayer, the Lord will give himself to us in his work. Remember always that prayer is the work. Today is our last day of prayer and fasting of our 21 days. I mean, yesterday ended it, so today is the last message for that. And once again, I just want to continue to encourage you to find a sustainable rhythm. To say, if you've been doing this at all, you've already experienced some benefits. Clarity of mind, maybe some freedom from certain temptations, more peace, less anxiety. You actually feel closer to God. You might have more awareness of Him being with you all the time. Please don't give those up to go back to your normal way of life. Find a way to have a sustainable rhythm where you can give up more things in the world so you can get more of God. All right, so Acts chapter 13, 
Let's do this. It's just three verses, one through three. Now there are in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands and sent them off. All right, here's where we see a group of people who had an encounter with God, and this encounter with God, as our entire series says, led to a great endeavor for God. We've seen this throughout the scriptures so far in these last four sermons. An encounter with God leads to endeavors for God. We must prioritize the presence of God if we're going to live according to God's purpose. And so this little short story, little short verses, give us an idea of what does it look like to be in God's presence? What does an encounter with the Holy Spirit look like? How does this happen? How do we position ourselves in the same way? So we're going to take what we learned from here, and we're going to try to apply it in our everyday life. Now, before we do that, I want to remind you of something we say all the time. This passage is foundational for that. So you may have heard people say, this is a launching pad, not a landing place. That's what we say all the time about services. Say, a launching pad, not a landing place, meaning that you come here not to land here every week, but to get sent out from here every week. It's a different, different perspective of church to say, I'm going to live my week and just land at church, as opposed to I'm going to go to church, be sent out, whoo, go live my week, come back, be sent out. Okay, this is what, it's a launching pad, not a landing place. This is exactly what we see here as they gather together to worship. They are sent out on mission. This should be total normal type of practice for us. And I, I want you to think about it this way. Uh, that church is not a gym mat where you stick the landing, but it's a trampoline where you jump on on and get sent somewhere else, all right? Now, I was actually going to have a little trampoline right here, and I forgot to bring it up. So that's a bummer that I missed that opportunity for you to watch me do that. But uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gym mat. Think about that, okay? You think about church. We come, it's a gym mat, uh, we sing some songs, listen to a sermon, stick the landing, hey, you know, like, I did it, I did it, I went to church, yes, you know, like, I'm more holy now than I was before, okay, you say, yeah, okay, you stick the landing, right, and that's what even some leaders, we try to stick the landing, how can we make the best church service possible, you know, let's everybody get here, let's all stick the landing, 10 out of 10, all right, we're up here winning the game, right, that's sometimes how we think about church, I don't want you to think about it that way, I want you to think about it as you jump here, and you can't even stay here very long before, whoop, you're sent back out, all right? That's the feeling I want you to have when you leave church is, whoop, I've been sent. I've been pushed. I have been propelled. I have been encouraged, convicted, whatever it might be, uh, to be sent out. And so that's here what we see. It's why we say launching pad, not a landing place. And this should be normal for all your gatherings together, for lighthouses, for any time you come worship, young adults meet Tuesday night, youth meet Sunday night. Everybody's meeting to learn more about Christ, to experience his presence. And when we do so, it should feel more like a trampoline than a gym mat, all right? So don't come here, try to stick the landing. Come here and get sent out and propelled to go do something else for the Lord. Then come back and do that again, come back and do that again. And that's how we're supposed to live our life. That's what we see from here. They worship the Holy Spirit speaks to them. They get clarity on what they're supposed to do. They respond by fasting and praying more. Then they take action, and then they're sent. All right? This should be normal for all of us. Now, the question then becomes, uh, what kind of environments can I set up that are conducive to this? So I'm going to give you four uh, adjectives, four realities, four ways, four types of environments that are necessary for us to be able to pr pursue this more often. First is this pretty obvious, an environment of congregational worship. 
So it says here in Acts chapter 13, they, they came together and worshiped and, and fasted and, and pursued the Lord. They, they, they. What is they? Well, they is the church at Antioch. It names particular people, but this is the whole church. The church is coming together and they have leaders. So they came and worshiped together. And in this environment of congregational, I know it's a big word, but I can't just say environment of worship because then you could be on home with your YouTube, you know, which is great. Praise the Lord. Do that. But congregational worship. Now, this is where we learn, and we see this throughout the scriptures, that worship, worshiping God when you are alone is wonderful and powerful, and you should do that. But worshiping God gathered together is more significant than that. This is a biblical principle, that we are made to be together. Christ did not just save you, he saved us. Christ doesn't interact with just you, he interacts with us. We are a body. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it out. We're like, I'm a finger, and you're a toe, and you're an arm, and you're a nose. You know, I, I just bring a finger to the equation. So if I'm a finger, and I'm just uh, spending time with God alone, at least my finger is getting spent time with God alone. That's great. But I would like my toes, and my nose, and my head, and my ears. I'd like all of me to spend time with God so all of me can be affected. And as a matter of fact, you are a part of all of me. This is the biblical principle of being God's family of being part of the body. Christ is the head, we are the body. So actually, I can't get all of me with God until I'm with all of you. And this is why gathering together is important. Now obviously, sometimes you say, it doesn't mean every single person that's a member of the church has to be present in every single meeting for this to work, all right? But it's a principle of the matter to say, okay, let's get together, let's gather together, let's bring more toes, more nose, more fingers, more hands, more all. Let's bring it all together so all of me can be all with God. I am not a lone ranger. I do not exist to love God by myself. When I'm spending time in heaven, I will not be doing it by myself. When I'm trying to live for Christ alone, now I'm not doing that by myself. I do not exist as an individual Christian. Christ saved us, not just me. And we are a body. And I've tried to do this a lot to remind you of the, the, the need, the, 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 it's unbelievable the need we have for one another. And sometimes we press the need on like, you know, when crisis happens, I need you, which is great, praise the Lord. But as a matter of fact, just to function as a Christian, I need you. I need you to experience more of God. I can't experience as much of God by myself as I could with you. I need you. You need, to, you need me to show up Sunday, I need you to show up on Sunday. You need me to show up, and you need I to show up. You need to show up at light, you need your friend to show up at Lighthouse, you need to show up at Lighthouse. You need, this is, we need each other so that we can get more out of our experience with God so that we can grow. So congregational worship, we have to come together. And then how we behave when we're together is important. If I'm here and I think it's boring, then that affects you. Okay, remember, remember, we're all doing this together. So everybody's different in their expressions of worship, okay? There's no one way to do this. But all that means is you should be totally engaged, not just for you, but for the sake of your neighbor, all right? Your engagement and participation matters for the sake of everyone else. So it's a congregational worship. I get more of me with God when I get more of you with me, all right? That's how the Bible teaches us about what does it mean to be in the body, all right? So environment of congregational worship. But also, obviously, the focus of our gathering is worship. It's not community. So I need you, but it's not about you. You know, you need me, but it's not about me. We gather together with each other, which is better than being alone, but we don't gather for each other. We gather to meet and worship God. So having friends is great, and I like to make more friends at church, but that's not the main reason we come to church. 
as a Christian at least. If you're here and you say, man, I'm not a Christian yet, make, come make some friends, okay? Find all the benefits you can of being here, and you need to learn, though, to, love, to, to hear what God has for you and that he loves you so much. But we say we come here and we say, okay, I come to worship. My desire here is to worship. It is to give God honor and attention. It, it is almost, it's to get caught up in who God is, to get caught up in his greatness. It's almost to lose myself in the reality of the greatness of God. Uh, the closest analogy I can get to this right now, and this is not blasphemous, okay, but I just want you to understand from the front end, it's an analogy. It's an analogy, all right? Nothing's like, nobody's like being with God. But the other day I took my sons to the Warriors game, and it was wild to watch Steph Curry, all right? And it was wild to watch all the attention Steph Curry gets. I mean, unbelievable. We got there early. It's a Wizards game. Everybody's wearing a Warriors jersey. Ain't nobody there to cheer for the Wizards, okay? Nobody. I found like one Wizards jersey and hundreds of little Warriors jerseys running around, all right? Nobody's there. Okay, Steph Curry hits a shot. The crowd goes wild. It's like, this is not your home. You know, what is happening in here, okay? So they're there. We got there early. Steph Curry has a famous pregame routine. You know, he shoots all these different types of shots, does all these dribble drills. Um, one of my sons is like obsessed with Steph Curry. So we got there early, and we got seats fairly close enough so he could see what was going on. And there was like, everybody was, Wizards were on the other side. Ain't nobody was over there watching them practice. Nobody was concerned about that. There were other Warriors players there. Nobody was concerned about that. Every single eye in the building was hyper-focused on Steph Curry just shooting warm-up shots. They all came to see him. And there's a sense in which when I watch the joy of my child, the joy of my child is in the fact that now he's lost in himself. He's not even aware of himself anymore, and he's caught up in the greatness of how good of a basketball player Steph Curry is. He's there, and his joy isn't in anything about himself. He's caught up. He's seeing something so wonderful to him. He's caught up in it, and now he can enjoy it. And this is what it should be like for us, but obviously times a billion, because Steph's just a person like you and me, just happens to be good at basketball. So we say, okay, now we're meeting with God, and the idea is now I get so caught up in who he is, my joy is not in the fact that I'm better or my life is working out. I'm lost in this moment in the greatness of God. I've come to worship. My eyes are fixed on him. There's a million things happening around me, but I came for one thing. It's to watch God do what God does. It's to put my attention on God, to, to get focused on him with that kind of energy and focus. But here's the, here's the wonderful thing about this is the difference between coming to church and going to a ballgame like that. I want to explain it to you like this. Imagine the difference between uh, my son watching Steph Curry play and being happy how much happier he would be if he was the kid who got to pass the balls to Steph Curry. Imagine the difference now if he begins to participate, to say, now he's out there catching rebounds, passing it to Steph. Steph's patting him on the back, saying, good job. He's out there. Imagine how much his joy increases by participating. And that's true for us. To say, God hasn't called you here just to look at him, but to also participate in what he is doing. And some of you settle for just looking at him, which is wonderful to look at him and to worship him, but your joy could increase if you participate. Your joy could increase, say, well, it's a burden to get here early and to serve or whatever. Well, you're just losing joy. You're leaving joy on the table. Imagine if, I, imagine if Steph Curry walked into the audience and said, hey, Jude, do you want to pass the ball to me? And he said, that sounds like too much effort. Imagine, I could just sit right here and eat my popcorn and watch you do your thing. That's exactly what it's like when we say, well, I don't really want to serve. You know, it's too much effort or whatever. You're just leaving you. I'm not even, like, mad. I'm just telling you, you're leaving happiness, joy, purpose on the table. You just left it there because God doesn't want you just to come watch him. He wants you to come participate with him. 
you get the chance to be a part of it. And praise God, what a wonderful thing this is. So this is the reality of congregational worship. Now, I want to tell you something, and uh, I, I was trying to figure out, this is one of those times where you know your sermon's too long, and you've got to make it shorter. And I had a really hard time doing that. So I'm going to talk fast, okay? But here, here's what I want to do. This, this, is, this is the most important one, okay? We need to baptize some people. We've got stuff to do, right? We've got stuff to do, and it's good. But let me tell you something, and maybe this is a separate sermon, but I have to share it with you. Okay, so in Acts 13 right here, where it says they're worshiping the Lord, I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. Some of you have already gotten my spiel, okay? I've already, I've already done this to some of the worship leaders and stuff. When it says worshiping the Lord, the word for worship here in the Greek is actually the word for service. And it's unusual to use it as a word for worship, so usually the word you would use for worship is the one where people bow down before the Lord. The same when Jesus shows up, say, whoo, you know, like Luke chapter 5, Peter falls down before Jesus like that. That would be the word you're used to. That's what you think of. Worship means I'm bowing down before the Lord, and obviously that is an appropriate word. But the word they use here is the word for service, and it's connected to the Old Testament form of worship where it's a priestly service. It's when the priest would do his job to set the table, make the sacrifice, and service unto the Lord. This is why some people call this ministry to the Lord. So you could translate it while they were ministering to the Lord. You could translate it while they were serving the Lord. And the difference is on purpose, and it's significant for us, to say now, and to explain this as, as quickly and shortly as possible, that our role in worship isn't just bowing down before the Lord, but it is in a high priestly service unto the Lord. I actually come to make an offering and to serve him. I don't come just to bow down and look at him. That's a part of it, but I come to serve him. I come to bring something to him. As a matter of fact, even though he doesn't need anything from me, I come to minister to the Lord. So have you thought about it that way, to say, I'm here to minister to him, even though he doesn't need anything from me, to give him something, to make an offering to him. This is why 1 Peter 2 says, now we are a royal priesthood, meaning that because of what Jesus has done, you function as a priest unto God. Every single one of us now has this beautiful, wonderful role that was saved for a few in the Old Testament, now through Jesus has been opened up to everyone, that you can priest unto God that you can serve him, that you can mediate, you can be there with God. Now, this is the reality he's using for them. So they're not just coming, bowing down and worshiping like this, okay? They're coming to serve and to offer him something. Now, what are they offering him? They're offering him this season of prayer and fasting. They're offering him themselves. Clearly, they're coming with an idea that there's a blank check on the table and that their life is an offering to God. And then he, he fills it in with, I need Paul and Barnabas. This isn't random, like, oh, okay, I'm sure they're coming in like, Lord, how are we going to advance the gospel? My life is an offering to you, and I'm going to minister unto the Lord. So this is the word here. It's like, okay, we minister to the Lord, not just for the Lord. We serve the Lord, not just serve for the Lord. He doesn't need anything for us, but you have been, in a sense, elected to fulfill your new obligation in priestly service, which is to come offer service unto the Lord. So a part of worship is this, okay? Uh, and then a part of worship is an act of service unto the Lord. So here are three realities about that that are important for us. And let me, let me give you, you might remember this because it's funny. Uh, and I'm awful at this, okay? So I'm not telling you this exactly how you say it, but I did look it up. Okay, so the Greek word here, and some of y'all, anybody in here know Greek? Okay, I studied Greek in seminary, but I forgot it, okay? So the, the Greek word in here is, right here for this word, is letergeo, all right? 
That is to, that's like to serve. So when the priest would be, when you translate this in the Old Testament and you use Greek, this is the word you get. Let's get okay? Uh, the word for fall down and worship, like I bow down before the Lord, is proskuneo, okay? So now you have them, they rhyme, all right? They have them rhyme. So uh, maybe it'll stick with you to say, I don't just come to proskuneo, I come to letergeo. Now, here's the reality is, okay? Here's the reality. You're not going to forget it, though. You're not going to forget it, okay? This is what's important. This is what's important. I cannot proskuneo unless I have first letergeo. You see what I'm saying? I can't come and, and create an environment conducive for worship unless I have brought the Lord an offering of service. This place doesn't get set up by a, by a fairy. You know, this doesn't just happen. There's serving happening to create an environment that's conducive for worship. So we cannot together worship unless we also together serve. So they're coming together with an offering unto the Lord. They're fulfilling their priestly role. Now all of you in Christ have a priestly role to fulfill unto God. Worship is not just about bowing down before him, which obviously it is, but also about ministering to him, serving him, presenting yourself as an offering to God. Here are three implications of that. The first is this. We need to obsess about our access to God. The, the wonderful thing about being a priest was you got to be closer to God than anyone else. You got to go into places in the temple that no one else could go. You got to experience a side of God no one else could see. You had access to God. And you had access to God by making a sacrifice, by making a blood sacrifice of an animal. And now the New Testament comes along, and here comes Jesus, and now there's not just a select few that get access to God by the sacrifice of the blood of an animal, but the entire world now has access to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the beauty of it, to say, how do I get to priest unto God? It's a privilege to say, I get to be close to God. How? Well, not through the sacrifice of blood and goats anymore, but through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice, I have access to God. I can go into the holy of holies. I can get as close to God as I want. I can get access to God. You have access to God. You have access to God. Listen to me. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. As you want to be. Nobody's stopping you from getting closer to God. You are as close to God as you want. You have full access. You have been given access by the blood of Jesus. He's already done everything necessary to get you close to him. We need to obsess about our access. So when we come in here, we say, oh my gosh, I have access to God. I can get close to God. I can worship God. I can offer something to God. There's nothing in the way between me and God. The blood of Jesus has made a way, and now I can get as close to God as I want. So I come into a gathering, and I say, I want to be close to you. So I've gathered with other people. The body's here, and we say, let's get close to God. Because we have access, man, you should be sitting at home thinking, I have access to God. I have a Bible where he speaks to me. I can pray like there's nothing in the way. Now, for those of you who are here apart from Christ, the thing that is in the way is your sin. It has created a divide between you and God and has left you without the very thing that you need, which is Jesus. And what Jesus has done is he died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the grave to fix that, to bridge the gap. So now if you put your faith in him, you can have access to God, the divine presence, the divine encounter you've been looking for and wondering about your whole life. We need to obsess about our access. The second thing is this. Ministry to people happens in the context of ministry to God. We can't get this backwards. So I don't come here first to serve you. 
And if I did that, I'd be a bad pastor and I wouldn't help you very much. And the worship team doesn't come here first to serve you in worship. If they did, they'd be a bad worship team. They come here to minister to God. This, is, this sermon is an offering to God that I hope you find pleasing and acceptable in His sight. We come here to minister to God. We don't come here first to minister to you. And this is when we reorient ourselves around what the purpose of church is. Is Once again, we are in second place. We come to serve God, but in the context of serving God, God now serves you. But it goes in that order. So if you come here to get something first and not give something, you will not get what you needed to get when you came here because it has to go in order. When we come and minister to God, we say we love you, here's an offering, here's things I'm bringing, talents, treasures, my money, my resources, my, my gifts, I'm bringing something to you, God. I'm here to serve you and to serve others in your name. I'm here to minister to you, to give you my praises, to give you my worship, to say things out loud, to be expressive, to bow on my knees, to shout for joy unto the Lord. I'm here to serve the Lord, to celebrate the Lord, to minister to the Lord. In the context of ministry to God now, that's the environment in which ministry to people happens. And if we get that backwards, then we miss out on the ministry we need because we first come to minister to God, and when we minister to God, then he ministers to us, and this is the order. This is the order of events. So we all have to come here ready to minister to God, and the more we do that, the more God will show up in ministry to us. The third thing is there's an obligation of preparation. So if you're going to be a priest in the Old Testament, you can't just show up. You die that way. Literally, I mean literally. If you walked into the temple unprepared, you would be dead. Now praise God, you know, that's not the case anymore. You can walk into church unprepared and the Lord's not going to strike you down dead. I mean, at least I don't think he will. You know, I'm not going to speak on his behalf all the time. But uh, he's not, he's not going to do that to say but there is an obligation of preparation. If now my job isn't just to show up and worship, my job is to serve and bring an offering, then that requires preparation. So a priest in the Old Testament would have to get things ready, get the table ready, get the sacrifice ready, and he would have to prepare to do ministry to God. He didn't come with nothing. He had materials. He had to get the materials ready. You can't do that half-hearted, or you can't do that without uh, acknowledging what, what you're doing and without the Lord being a part of it and saying, Lord, I am preparing something for you. So there is an obligation now. If your role is a priestly service, there is an obligation now to come ready. You know, so in the same way, obviously my role is to teach the Bible in many sense, so I come ready with a sermon, but that doesn't mean I'm the only person who's supposed to come ready to church. And if I didn't come ready, then that, you would not be as blessed. Right? If I just got up here and said, all right, let's see, where's the Holy Spirit? You know, Holy Spirit, give me something, you know. I've been watching Netflix all week, and I didn't know, you know. I don't have anything to say, you know. It wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help you, okay? Now, if we do the appropriate thing of making all of us priests unto God and the role of the teacher no more significant than the role of someone else, now we say, wow, the obligation's high. We all have to come ready. If you expect me to come ready, I expect you to come ready. If you wouldn't accept me just getting up here and winging it and not putting any thought into this, I, we, I wouldn't accept that from you. And if you are just important to what happens here as what I'm doing right now, then we all have to come ready. This is when you flatten things to say, okay, praise God, we have some people worship, some people teach, okay, but we're all gathered together to do something. All right? Your role just as significant as mine. Therefore, we all have an obligation of preparation. All right. Now I really got to speed this up. Okay. 
ready. All right. The second point is this, an environment of spiritual leadership. Okay, you have an environment of congregational worship. You have an environment of spiritual leadership. So look, they have, they have prophets and teachers. You have Paul, Barnabas, Saul, all these different people, okay? They have prophets and teachers. Basically, the point of this is these prophets and teachers provide spiritual leadership to mediate the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit shows up in the gathering of believers, but the prophets and teachers mediate. They give direction to and clarity to the work of the Holy Spirit. God has uh, revealed this to us also in Ephesians chapter 4, where he has appointed apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and shepherds to help equip the saints for the work of ministry and to lead these spiritual gatherings together. Now here's the point of this. Here's the point of this. Is that actually there's power in submission and I increase my opportunities to be present to God when I submit myself to spiritual authority. I increase. The environment is more conducive to God working when there's proper spiritual channels of authority. This is how the Lord works all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the, the scriptures, because now I can handle the mystery of how God speaks with the clarity of, of authority and, and boundaries so that there's leadership present to keep things where it should be. This is what the Lord has done, because now, now I can hear from God in a plain way, even though it were, might be a mysterious word. Like, you have to bring these two things together where the subjective nature of what the Holy Spirit might be doing and saying and leading is all around the world and has different dimensions to it. But the objective boundaries of how the Lord is supposed to work in a gathering and what, what the Lord might be wanting to say needs to be clear. So now, here's, here's the truth for you. Spiritual clarity comes in the context of spiritual authority. So when I place myself under a position of spiritual authority, which obviously involves people, but even also to say I, I submit myself to the authority of God. Like, when I come under the word... I submit myself to the word. I don't just, I don't, I don't look at the word and say, well, I can't believe it says this or that. No, no, no. I submit myself under its authority, and when I submit myself under the authority of the word, I actually get more clarity from the word. When I submit myself to authority in a church, I actually get more clarity from what the Lord wants me to do. This is how the Lord has set it up. So, uh, you see here it says, the Holy Spirit said, and we do this all the time. You know, people say, God told me. God told me this, or God told me that. Okay, well, how do you know that wasn't a bad piece of pizza you ate last night? You know, like, how do you know it wasn't just some who, you know, like, how many times have you thought God said something and then it wasn't actually that, you know? Hey, this is where these things come in so that we have an environment that is appropriate for the Holy Spirit to speak within the proper guidelines of spiritual authority. So I can know, so the context of this is there's agreement amongst the body. The Holy Spirit speaks set apart from your Barnabas and Saul. doesn't exactly say how he did that. But the, the probably best way is that he didn't just say that. They weren't just sitting there and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas, and so It was probably a, a leadership, an impression, maybe a word given to one of these prophets, a word of discernment, a word of clarity, revelation, what God wants to do. Now that was um, shared with the other teachers and prophets. This was shared with the body. Everybody had agreement. This is exactly sounds like something the Lord wants to do. So if you said the Holy Spirit said I should go, you know, and buy a bigger house and a better car and live for me, everybody would come and say, well, that's probably not what the Holy Spirit said. You know, there would be agreement to say, well, he wouldn't say that. Or you say, the Holy Spirit said I should go and do this or that. And then you say there's spiritual clarity when there is spiritual authority, all right? So we need to be able to handle the mysteries of God in a plain way so that we can receive it and walk in it. Now, this obviously doesn't mean there has to be an actual full-time pastor or somebody like that present every time you gather with them. That's ridiculous. But what it does mean is that there should be spiritual authority and that there should be some spiritual leadership gathered 
wherein you are together to provide clarity and direction to what you're doing. And even as you gather, let's say, as a lighthouse, you do so under the umbrella of spiritual leadership at the church and authority. And so, therefore, the Holy Spirit is more conducive to speak. So, basically, you have to submit to authority to get word from the Holy Spirit. Another thing for you leaders is this. A good leader does not create, but rather facilitates what God is doing. A good leader doesn't create. That's called manipulation. A good leader doesn't create. If I came in here and said, well, if I do this and that and this and that, and everybody's going to, you know, uh, that's, not, that's not right. I come in here and say, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my best. We're going to try this. And, and then what I do when I'm present and what you should do when you're present in your home or wherever that is, you say, well, Lord, what are you doing? And then how can I facilitate that? What is the Holy Spirit now creating? We've set the environment. We've brought the instruments. We've brought the word. We've brought the people. We're here together. Now the Holy Spirit begins to move. And a leader now listens and begins to facilitate what God is doing. So a good leader does not create, but rather facilitates what God is doing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, here's the third thing, an environment of expectation. Okay, expectation is about what you believe can happen and how you prepare for it to happen. So they are fasting and praying because they are expectant for God to do something. This might be the most important now to say we need to come into these gatherings expectant. And expectant, expectation is about what you believe you can do. What, I mean, what you believe can happen through God. And then how you prepare for it to happen. So if I expect for it to rain, but I don't put on a raincoat, I either don't care or I don't really believe it's going to rain. You know what I'm saying? If I expect for it to snow and I don't prepare accordingly, then I'm not really believing that or I don't care. And so that's the truth about this. If I expect God to move, but I don't prepare for it, then I actually don't believe. If I'm not preparing, which is 21 days of prayer and fasting, is a way to prepare for that. Here's the reality for us. Where there is expectation, there is preparation. And to come unprepared is to come unexpected. So we get here and we say, I am expectant. And one of the things we do at a leader rally is we say, I'm expectant and ready for God to move. Why? Because I want my expectation to be up here in the realm of the supernatural to say, I have a high expectation that God can literally do anything in this room right now. And we've prepared for that, and that gives the validity to the expectation. Now, I wanted to encourage, as I was reading this, uh, thinking about this, Obviously, I have six kids. My wife gets them all here every Sunday by herself, you know, so that's the, the pastor's wife always gets up, you know, so she's got that job by herself, and that's, uh, you know, she does it great. That's a tough job, okay? And so all you moms, too, your dads, whatever, you're getting your kids here, uh, you might be frustrated, stressed, tired. You walk here, and you say, well, Pastor Nate said I had to come prepared and expect it, but I'm just frustrated and annoyed. My kids aren't listening to me, and, you know, I mean, everybody didn't get ready, and I spilled my coffee on the way over here, and, you know, I yelled at one of them, and, you know, you're like, well, I'm supposed to come. Well, I guess nothing's going to happen today. I guess I'm just beat, you know, like, I didn't come ready, so nothing, you know, I didn't come prepared, I didn't come expectant, I'm just stressed and frustrated. You say, yep, you know, that's me half the time on Sunday morning. Well, I have an encouraging word for you, because I was meditating on this, because obviously I don't think the reality is that you don't have trouble getting here or stress in your life when you get here. Uh, But to encourage all you parents in this, uh, going through all the work to prepare and get your kids dressed and out the door into church on time is a means of preparation. So even if you get here stressed and frustrated, the Lord honors it because you've done the work. You're expecting that God's going to do something, so much so that you're willing to go through the work to get them here. So switch your perspective on that to say, okay, being prepared and expectant doesn't just mean I come in, oh, you know, like clean soul, meditative, ready. I've been praying all night before. I fasted all week. Like, yo, I'm ready. Woo, the Lord's going to move through me. No, part of it's in your normal life. You're doing the things you need to do so you can get to the places you need to go. And if you put in the work to get your kids ready, then you're acting in expectation. So be encouraged and show up frustrated and the Lord will bless you, okay? It's okay, all right? It's okay. 
All right, here's the last thing, an environment of response. So I'm going to have the band go ahead and come up. And we're going to uh, think about what this means for us. So what did they do? They laid their hands and sent them out. So here at Antioch, they gathered together. Here's a cool fact. This is the first church to minister to Gentiles, or a.k.a. outsiders, in its own city. It's also the first church to be concerned with foreign missions. So here's the reality for us, and this is simple. Write this down. When you meet with God somewhere, you catch God's heart for everywhere. When you meet with God somewhere, you catch God's heart for everywhere. So they heard what the Holy Spirit was doing, and then they laid their hands on them and sent them out. It was an environment of response to say, launching pad, not a landing place. And so what I want us to do, and what we need to continue to grow in as a church, is having environments marked with response. Having environments marked with the laying on of hands. Having environments marked with people coming to the altar. Having environments marked with people standing up. Having environments marked by prayer for one another. To say, the Lord is working and moving, and I mark this moment with a response unto God. And this gathering solidifies that together. You say, Lord, I want to change. And instead of just sitting there in your heart saying, well, I'm going to change, you're just talking to your finger because that's all you are. And you say, Lord, I really need to change. So I'm going to come and I'm going to ask for prayer and people are going to lay their hands on me in front of people and it's going to mark this moment together with the Lord to say, I will respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. I will respond. I will respond not just in my heart because we fool ourselves so much, but I will respond in public because it helps mark what God is doing. It gives people the opportunity to pray. It allows the body to come around in agreement. We are doing this thing together. So when you respond, it has to be more than just the heart, but it has to be a response when the Lord is working that others can participate in. This is something I think we need to grow in in the Lord. Environments of response environments where I say, well, the Lord is asking me for something, the Lord is working, calling something out, I get prayer, I come down, people lay hands, whatever it is, whatever it might be, but there's an action step needed. So I want you to go ahead and stand up. I want everybody to stand up as we get ready to worship and, and see people baptized and praise the Lord. I want you to consider now, with your eyes closed, I just want you to lock in for a second and think about, okay, how is the Lord asking me to respond? Not just to today, but maybe to the 21 days. What is the Lord calling me out of and into? And we're going to sing our, our, our song, Stir Us Up. We're going to ask the Lord to stir things up in us and to provoke things in us. And if you want to get a brother or sister and come pray, do that. I'll be down front. If you don't know nobody and you need prayer, I'll come pray with you. Uh, find a way to respond to God. doesn't mean you just have to come down front. You could go, you could do any, anywhere in here. But find a way to respond to God. Uh, find a way to make it tangible in your life. Find a way to move forward uh, with the Lord. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, they solidify it by the laying on of hands and sending out. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it has to be solidified by the body. And that's what marks a moment with the Lord. All right? And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to leave some space in the room for you to do as you feel led to do. Uh, and we'll sing and we'll baptize some people and we'll celebrate the Lord. So, Lord, we come before you now and we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that as we gather, you come. And I pray now that you would teach us what does it mean to really respond to you? What does it mean to mark a moment of change with you? What does it mean to take public steps of action, Lord, so that the body can come in agreement? I pray you would give us all the necessary conviction and humility, Lord, myself included, to do that, Lord, to position ourselves in humility to others. Uh, so that we can move forward with you in the mission you've given us. And so right now, would you stir something up in us, Lord, so that we can move forward the way you want us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.